back by no one's demand but our own from our home office here in sunny, scenic, still quarantined, still cold, Elizabeth Park, Nashville, Tennessee. It is the 615 Sessions podcast. It's powered by Two Rivers Ford. It's brought to you as always by A to Z Sports and A to Z Sports Nashville.com. Hello, friends. Happy Thursday. Happy Lions Week. This is Buck Rising with you per usual. We have Mike Giardi of the NFL Network and your Music City Mailbag questions to top off the end of the show as we get closer and closer to the postseason here in Tennessee. What we are also getting closer to is the end of the year. And because we are getting closer to the end of the year, that means that you still have time to save money on a new vehicle, a 2020 model, at TwoRiversFord.com because they're trying to bring in the new year and the new models out there in Mount Juliet. I went and saw the 2021 Ford Bronco Sport on Tuesday. Very impressive vehicle. One of many that you can test drive as my alarm goes off, reminding me that I have somewhere to be and so I cannot take too long. But what will not take you too much time is to go online to TwoRiversFord.com to check out all of their new vehicles that are incoming, the Bronco, the Mach-E Mustang, the F-150, all of them very, very impressive. And not too late to go out to Mount Juliet or online and save some money on a 2020 model that they are trying to get off the lot and make room for the new inventory in the new year. You'll always get a good deal and you'll always get great customer service at Two Rivers Ford or online at tworiversford.com. Let's get to Giardi. Back here, 615 Sessions podcast on the getbeast.com. Zoom line, I made him get up extra early. That's why I look bleary-eyed for anybody coming to attack me the way that Teresa Walker did on Tuesday on the podcast. It's Mike Giardi from the NFL Network. Hello, friend. Hello, and I don't blame Teresa for coming after you. And whatever Teresa says is pretty much law. So, you know, you got to take it. No, no, no. It, listen, listen to me. This, <laughs> it was such, it was such, uh, such an assault, so unnecessary, and I was completely unprepared for it because she's a very sweet woman, eighty-five percent of the time, Teresa Walker. But when she hits you, <laughs> she hits you hard. She's an assassin that way, Joe. <laughs> yeah, she cuts, and when she cuts, she cuts deep. She's not messing around. <laughs> no question about it. <laughs> We are going to talk about NFL uh, Week 15. The Titans officially have playoff scenarios that are on the table this weekend. We'll spend some time on what's uh, what surprised Mike throughout the course of this NFL season with the Titans. But we start in the obvious place. Ryan Tannehill, as we're recording this podcast on a Thursday morning, Ryan Tannehill spoke to the media yesterday. And Giardi is making a face like he smelled something bad because he is <laughs> the most recent uh, Zoom foul up in the middle of a Titans media call. So Giardi, set the scene for the people. Where were you? Because I know you do these calls from a variety of different places, sometimes on the treadmill, sometimes uh, yeah. parts unknown. Yeah. Where were you when you decided that you would be a part of Titans media Zooms yesterday and then kind of explain to the people what happened on your end? All right, well, I was tasked with some errands yesterday, and, you know, they're, they're managing all the Zoom calls. I was like, well, look, if I get out during Vrabel's call, I should be able to know whether I have a strong enough signal as I'm driving around to be able to participate and ask Tannehill a question. So I'm driving around, and I got Vrabel fine. There's no, 
nothing. Everything is good. Everything sounds good. The, the video is going. It's all great. And then as I get closer to my question being ready to be asked with Tannehill, I pull over. You're being safe. You know, I'm all about safety. Safety sure. first, right? I pull over. I got a full question before me. Again, everything is perfect. And then the moment I go to ask the question, it goes to hell. Now, of course, I don't know that it's going to hell because you can't tell you know, I'm asking the question and, yes. and I'm all emoting. I'm like, how do you stand in the pocket, Ryan? How do you do that? Is that an innate ability? Or did you have to teach yourself to be able to not look at the rush, knowing that you might get, you know, just steamroll? Because obviously he's, he's fantastic at it. He's one of the best in the league at it. And then I finished my question. One second, two seconds, three. <laughs> I don't know. Felt like 15 seconds. Had to be at least 10 where absolutely nothing is happening. I'm like, did I drop off? Did I insult him? Like, what, what happened? And then, you know, like, he pops back up on the screen. I see this kind of, like, weird face. I'm not hearing myself. And then he's like, well, I didn't really hear half of what you said. But I'm thinking you said something about being in the pocket and getting hit. And then he goes and answers the question. Uh, Mike Charity. Hey, Ryan. Your teammates and Mike have talked quite a bit about your toughness this year and your ability to kind of stand there in the face of pressure and take that hit to deliver the throw. I, I'm curious, is that like a learned behavior, if you will? Like, is that just innately who you are? And I got to make the play. I'm not worried about this guy about to stick his helmet into my chest. Yeah, I missed a bunch of your question there, but I think you're asking about just being able to stand in the pocket. Um, yeah, it's something that, uh, you know, comes with, comes with territory. You know, you're keeping your eyes downfield, trying to find the open guy. A lot of times, you know, you'll feel the pressure coming at you. Um, but, you know, if you can, you know, hang in there for half a second, you'll, you'll have time to, to get the ball off. So it's, uh, it's a fine line, right? You want to stand in there and, and get the ball off. Uh, but if the receiver's not going to be open, you don't want to don't take the sack um, being able to move. So... Just being able to, to find that line, know when you can hang in there and get the ball off, know when you need to, to try to move. Um, something we work at, we talk about, and I try to take to the field on Sundays. Meanwhile, your lovely group chat, which I must say, for anybody who – so I'm doing multiple different – you know, multiple teams and all this stuff. Nobody, <laughs> has a, nobody has a chat that I've been on. Nobody has a chat that can be this biting – as the one I've been on with you guys. Yeah. Uh, and I, I find it quite enjoyable. So obviously I became the, the butt of the jokes and thank you for, for giving me life today because this otherwise had been terrible. So, yeah, I mean, I, I, I don't know what Ryan's face looked like. Although again, from the, from the group chat, it seemed like maybe he was like, what is happening here? And uh, yeah, I did what I could to That's help you whole- guys. See, I help you. Yeah. Help me help you. I texted you yesterday. I said, thank you for sacrificing for the greater good because <laughs> yesterday's Zoom calls were fairly terrible. And I bitch about this on the podcast all the time and people are tired of hearing me talk about it. But Zoom, Zoom stinks. Like Zoom, yeah. for, for the purposes of what we are trying to accomplish and, and to get the best story out of whomever you are talking to on the regular basis, like Zoom is about the worst possible way. It's necessary. We all understand it's essential and we're going to do everything that we can to make sure that this thing goes off without a hitch and that we can continue the progress as we try to get back to normal. But for the purposes of this, Zoom stinks. Until it provides you great comedy like Giardi did yesterday. (laughs) Because I I love you, Mike. I love having you on. 
it's the only reason I put you on the podcast today is because you were the, you were the subject of uh, of the group chat. And yes, it is. We have we have received that commentary before. Whether it's our friend Diana Rossini who pops in from time to time, uh, your colleague Jane Slater who I see in there occasionally, we do uh, like to enjoy ourselves because sometimes the Zoom gets dull, and so we try and uh, we practice our worst sports media. Uh, personality comedy routines in the group chat in the Zoom. Now, most of the time, the players can't see it. Vrabel sees it, and Vrabel yes. likes to occasionally participate and call Joe Rex wrote a clown sometimes <laughs> or make fun of Paul Kaharski's uh, delivery sometimes. But yesterday, it was Giardi and the robot voice because it was funny the way to watch it play out. You started, you started fine, mm. and then – slowly because you could tell that the tv delivery was there it was very broadcast professional it was very crisp but it just started to slowly slow <laughs> down each second that passed and Tannehill's face just kind of like he got a little closer to the camera and he's kind of looking at it and trying to try to you know he's being a good soldier because quarterbacks will fake their way through anything just yes. to get through the availability <laughs> and then he finally and he gave I, I don't know I don't know if the answer was any good I was too busy laughing yeah no I don't even remember what he said <laughs> <laughs> yeah you know we're professionals around here this is how these things go but uh, Giardi obviously covers many many teams around the league he's uh, tasked with a great many things working for the NFL Network but sometimes he is, uh, he is involved in what we're doing here in Nashville and what's going on with this team. Just, I guess, a general assessment right now, Mike, of them at 9-4 and four and getting ready to host the Lions, their last home game of the year coming up. What do you make of these particular Tennessee Titans? I mean, there's a little bit of an inconsistency, right? I think, you, and, and it's almost week to week that you, you sort of ride the ebbs and flows of this football team since their fast start, uh, which again was there were a lot of close games in there and, and Vrabel had done a good job of kind of pointing that out, like we're a whisker here, or a whisker there for me in three and two or two and three, the way some of those games went. And I guess you're expecting, and I think a lot of coaches point in this direction, you're expecting to play your best football after Thanksgiving. Now that's when you want to start to, to, to be in that, 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 that next level and find that, that sort of ground and, and consistency. And I, I don't think they found it yet, you know, and, I don't know why that is. Maybe it's the injuries. Uh, obviously, there's a lack of production from a pass rush standpoint. You know, they really struggle to impact the quarterback. We saw that a couple of weeks ago against Cleveland when Baker did whatever he wanted. Um, and I don't know how you, at this point, you fix that. You know, my, obviously, guys have to play a little bit better, but maybe that's just what your personnel is at this point. I still think they're a dangerous team because I think the experience of last year in the run – you know, there's a confidence that comes from that. And with basically all the same key characters still involved, Buck, I think that that's something that they can lean on here as they look to finish out the regular season with a flourish and, you know, get into the postseason. And, and look, with, with some of the players they have on offense in particular, Derek, uh, we've seen what he's done for the last couple of years now, and, and AJ and some of the things that he's capable of. Corey's having a great year that they're, they're really dangerous. I'm not, they're not a team I'd want to play, that's for sure. See, I can't decide if I feel the same way about them because their defense, I don't trust them. I think mm. that any progress that we see on a regular basis is fraudulent. They played the 1-12 in Jags. They look great. I mean, they looked, they looked like any normal defense in the NFL. And if they could, uh, if they could play uh, draft neck Mike Glennon and Gardner Minshew uh, and the mustache, 
uh, from week to week, they would probably look much better. But this is, the, this is not the case as we get closer to the postseason. They're going to have to play on Christmas weekend, a literal fire-breathing dragon in Aaron Rodgers in his house at Lambeau, fans or not. Uh, obviously, there will be no fans in Green Bay. But your point about the pass rush, there's just not a path for them to get better. Like the answer right now is 33-year-old Brooks Reed off the practice squad because not only is Jadavion Clowney, as your colleague uh, Ian Rappaport reported, had knee surgery done for the year, in all likelihood the Vic Beasley situation uh, went about as badly, as poorly as it could have gone for John Robinson. He may as well have lit $21.75 million on fire uh, in trying to fix the pass rush. And listen, you, you give him uh, credit, I guess, in trying to get that done. And you can question things like the Beasley move because everybody and their mother seemed to know that that was going to be a bad idea. Uh, but now Harold Landry leads the team with four and a half sacks and he just, he's so easy to take away because there's nobody on the other side. There's nobody on the other side able to help him or able to allow Harold Landry to get one-on-one matchups to be a better version of the pass rusher that he is. Derek Roberson's an under a former undrafted free agent who's our skipper. Uh, is now on IR as a former undrafted free agent. And then Wyatt Ray, who was a practice squad call-up, also an undrafted free agent. Like, there's just a flat-out talent disparity uh, from everyone not named Harold Landry or Jeffrey Simmons up front. And I think that once you get to the postseason, you know, if you have a competent offense, and you're going to be playing here in Nashville, at least for some of them, if things keep on track right now, they continue to uh, to be on a path to win the AFC South, although the Colts could muck that up. Um, I just – I don't think that you can trust them the way that you're – they are, you are – I guess you are right to to say that some teams would not like to play them, but I'm looking at them saying, if I'm Cleveland, I'd want another shot at them because they absolutely pushed them around. Yeah, I don't think there's any question that there's some matchups too that are an issue. And I think when you – Cleveland in particular – that's a, that's a really good offensive line. It's played at a high level this year. Stefanski's done a nice job of drawing things up to sort of hide some of Baker's uh, issues and highlight some of his strengths. I mean, you even saw that against the Ravens. I mean, I thought he, you know, there were a couple moments that Baker would like to have back, but generally he played very well and you, what, what they score 42 points and, and lose the game. So you can't, you can't pin that on the offense. Yeah. I, I think when you look at the AFC East, I think it's the Chiefs. The Bills, and then I think there are four or five teams that who's hot, who's healthy, who doesn't yeah. have a COVID problem in January. Oh. You know, like, I know, it's, it's one of the things that we have to factor in now, right? So, to, to me, I think any one of those teams could have, could have emerged from that, from that second group and, and push the Chiefs or the Bills, you know, as it were. I, you know, to, to me, though, the Chiefs are, even though they played in a lot of close games this year, I, I don't know that I've ever seen – an offense that's capable of exploding like they do so quickly. I mean, a 10 point deficit against Miami and I sat there and I'm, I'm, I'm at the giants Cardinals game and I've got the, I've got the chiefs game on and I'm like, well, they failed to score. The dolphins failed to score off the first turnover, got a touchdown off the second, got a field goal off the third. They're up 10, nothing. I'm like, they, they, they've already, they've already screwed themselves. They need to be, this needs to be touchdowns. This needs to be 21 to nothing. It, it's sort of reminiscent of, at least how I used to feel watching the Patriots with Brady at the height of his powers, that if you don't score touchdowns against them, 
eventually they'll find answers. Now I think the Chiefs offense is way more explosive than anything the Patriots had, except for, you know, the Randy Moss years. But that's that's sort of the same feeling. Like there's no lead that's really big enough against the Kansas City Chiefs. I don't know that we can say that about any other team in the National Football League. No, you kick field goals, you die. I mean, it's the same yes. thing. Like, they look bored right now during the regular season. Like, I yep. looked up, Mahomes had three interceptions against Miami, and they were still le- they were still up by 10. And I'm just like, how the hell is this even humanly possible? I've never seen anything like him before in my life. I don't think many of us have. No. Um, and outside of, I guess, Mike, as we get closer to the postseason and – we have some time for things to shift around in that playoff picture, especially in the AFC, because the AFC is pretty top-heavy, but the the teams that are in it are the teams that are competing, like the Ravens kind of sitting on the outside and, and looking in. Um, the, the, the Raiders, I think everybody looks at and thinks is a little bit fraudulent yeah. now uh, after they, uh, they've been exposed in a couple weeks in a row. Non-Mahomes division, which, which of the AFC quarterbacks – do you trust the most? You got Baker, you got Josh Allen, Tua, Tannehill here, Roethlisberger, uh, now down two straight. Looking around, because there's a variety of different options, different skill sets to pick from and and very unique situations. If you had to roll with them, with one of them that's not Patty, who are you taking? It's going to be Josh Allen, and I know I would not have said this a year ago, and I like the strides he made a year ago, and then we saw him implode in the playoffs, and he sort of rides that, that wave and that roller coaster a little bit himself, you know, with the, some of the throws that he makes and some of the times he just doesn't see what he should be seeing. But I think there's been a clear change in who this kid has been. And, I mean, it really started at the beginning, but I think he even got over a little bit of a valley earlier this year and kind of emerged from it, and I think he's just playing really good football. He's making good decisions. Um, you, you look at the way they tried to defend him this weekend and, and it was almost like, well, let's get him on the move. We'll get some pressure on the inside. We'll, we'll get him flustered. We'll get him on the move and he'll make bad decisions and his accuracy will go back to what it was two or three years ago. It didn't, it it just didn't. There's the, the, they've upgraded the level of talent around him. Obviously, Stefan Diggs has been a huge answer for them this year, but I, I think he's playing aside from Rogers and Mahomes probably playing as well as any quarterback in the National Football League. And I know he's got to get over the hump now. He's got to come to New England, even though New England's not that good uh, next Monday night. And he's got to beat New England so they can slay that dragon. And then he's got to do it in the postseason. But I just think the way he's playing, the way he and Brian Dayball, the offensive coordinator, have meshed um, in their relationship, I just think he's, he's playing on another level right now. That's the thing with him. Like I, I watch him now when I have the chance, because obviously game days are different for everybody. Yep. You, you don't, you only get to see so much football if you're covering one specific game to go back and watch some of these highlights. And I keep waiting for him to have this regression to the mean. And I think he did it against the Titans after, after the Rona week. Like I think he had, he had the old Josh Allen game. He got it out of the way where he's making bad decisions and throwing interceptions and costing his, uh, team field position and putting them in in precarious spots I think I think he's already done that and he's at a point in his career where this is the next evolution of Josh Allen this is what this is all the potential that people that got him drafted so high and I hate that you're putting me in this position to be the homer because I think that Tannehill there has been enough of a body of work to me even if it wasn't in the postseason last year outside of that Ravens game, because he only threw for like 80, 81 yards yeah. or something like that. But the two touchdowns that he threw were the, were the scores that they needed 
to pull them over, uh, pull them, help pull them over Lamar Jackson and the Ravens in Baltimore and then go on to get smacked around by Kansas City in the second half. There's something about Ryan Tannehill right now with the two receivers that he's got, maybe just because I'm watching more of him, but I really do think that it's neck and neck for me. If it's not Josh Allen just off physical talent and ability, Ryan Tannehill is, is playing about as well as I've ever seen a quarterback play. So I, I honestly, and people, people have been slandering me for it here, I think he's the best quarterback to play for the Titans. And people, people refuse to people refuse to let go of the ghost of Steve McNair, and I understand why. Like that's the 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 memory that you have, and and unfortunately, when when things go down the way that they did in Steve McNair's life, you you kind of elevate them. I think you put them on a little higher of a pedestal just because of the things that came mm-hmm. to pass, and you remember it a little differently. But like in terms of just purely playing the position and how well he's playing it, like Tannehill quantifiably there's nobody there's been nobody better for this franchise the defense is the only thing that scares me because buffalo's defense is absolutely caving in skulls right now in a way that they weren't early in the season yeah the bills defense has taken a big jump and that was i thought to me i mean i think they returned 80 percent of their personnel from last year and the way they were playing the first two and a half months of the season you're like what is what's happening but now they have they've definitely found a a different level under Leslie Frazier and, of course, head coach Sean McDermott. To your point about Tannehill, as I sat there and you asked me that question and I chose Josh, Tannehill's the next guy on my list. And I had to pause there for a second because I do think he's playing really well. I think the marriage of, of he and Arthur Smith, um, you know, has done wonders for his career. Uh, and I think he's, a, you know, having watched him quite a bit when he was in Miami because of the, the AFC East thing, he's a different quarterback to me. He's more mature. I think that there are things that he's doing now in the Tennessee offense. In particular, the question I was asking yesterday was just about being able to stand in the pocket and deliver like that, that we didn't see often from him in Miami. He didn't, there were a lot of times where he was better served getting outside the pocket. And I remember one game plan in particular, Belichick took the the outside linebacker slash defensive ends and had them turn their backs to the sidelines. They were lined up to the sideline. With the, the whole idea was we're not letting you like we're, we're declaring already. We're not letting you get outside the pocket. We are going yeah. to keep you inside the pocket and go ahead, beat us. And more often than not, uh, Ryan couldn't do that on a consistent basis. I think he's done a much better job in Tennessee since he's taken over the starting job of doing that. And look, the, I mean, AJ's a freak. It'd be, it'd be great if he had a little bit more consistency catching passes, but he's still a freak and can turn anything into a, you know, five yard, a little hitch, whatever, into a touchdown. And now that Corey has found, you know, consistency, which, you know, obviously was something they thought about him four years ago when they drafted him in the top 10, it gives him a hell of a one-two punch. So uh, there's a lot going for that offense. And like I said, that's from an offensive standpoint, I'd put them right up there with anybody outside of Kansas City in the AFC. It's just whether or not you can get the consistent defensive performance. And, and that's, again, you're getting it one week, then you're not getting it the next. And, and like, as you mentioned, you're getting it against the Jaguars. You're not getting it against Cleveland. So, you know, quality of opponent matters here. For sure. You bring up Art, and we'll, we'll get you out of here on this one. He is – we're already to the point where we're asking Brable, uh, much to his chagrin, about future head coaching <laughs> opportunities yeah. for his offensive coordinator. 
in Arthur Smith, and it's something that continues to be talked about, and rightfully so. Arthur's done a fantastic job in, in a year and, and change now as the coordinator here. He's obviously been here in Tennessee for the better part of, I think, nine years, um, working his way up. There's going to be a lot of big-time names like Eric Bieniemy being floated around. We don't know what Josh McDaniels is going to do. Uh, in New England, up in your part of the country. But Arthur is going to be interviewed for some of these jobs. I don't want to put you on the spot because maybe you have to think about this a little more. But if you had to find a a perfect landing spot for Arthur Smith, out of all the jobs that are coming available, understanding that you got Trubisky at one, you've got Deshaun Watson down in Houston, which would be hugely problematic for the local professional mm-hmm. football team here given how many times Houston has won the division recently, if Arthur Smith had a, had a perfect landing spot based on personnel and fit, just off the top of your head, where do you think he might want to land? The Chargers. I think the Chargers' job is – um, Yeah, I, look, young quarterback, obviously, who's played extremely well for the better part of the entire year. The one, the one blip on the radar for him was the Patriots game a couple weeks ago. Um, and Belichick has had a habit of, of chewing up rookie quarterbacks. I think there's something like five and 20 against him or something like that over the course of his time in New England. But I, I just think that the, the personnel there fits, and the quarterback's skill set in particular fits what Arthur likes to do, big mobile guy. You know, he's, he's, he's not going to run for 100 yards, but he's capable of getting out of the pocket and doing some of the things that Ryan does. I think that's just a, a terrific fit. I, I would also say – Past history says the Chargers don't like to spend a ton of money on a head coach. So while that job is going to be very attractive, I wonder, say Josh McDaniels, for instance, I think Josh would like that job, but what's the paycheck going to be? Right. Are you going to try to pay the head coach $3 million a year, or are you going to pay him the going rate, six, seven, eight? They have a tendency, and they're going to have to fire Anthony and pay Anthony to want to shoot a little bit lower maybe Arthur slides right into there in the sense that, you know, it's his first real go around getting interviews and being that guy that maybe that's a good marriage too, in the sense that maybe Arthur, Hey, I I got, this is a job. I'm going to take this job and then I'm going to prove myself. And then contract won't be an issue three or four years down the line. But I think that's something you have to sort of pay attention to because I think that's, they're one of the teams that that job is really attractive. But when you look at management and how they've not wanted to pay coaches, you know, maybe that's a marriage there. I uh, I would hate that for him because it seems to be that it's not a Philip Rivers curse. It's a Chargers curse, the way that they lose these games. And it has provided me much internet content in the form of <laughs> gifts over the years. Yes. And Arthur has a very gifable face. I would hate for him to have to end up in my arsenal of, uh, of internet trolling tools. But, you know, I welcome any and all content, Giardi. Hey, Just as I'm ask- glad for you when you're on the Zoom calls and you foul it up. <laughs> let me ask you a question. You- having been around him, his personality. Yeah. So when I look at LA, even though it's a major market, I don't think it's a major, I don't think they treat the football team out there like they treat the football team in Tennessee. Even I think there's just, the, they're further down the list of things that people are worried about. They're worried about the Lakers and, and whatever the Rams are ahead of them. It's, it's his personality suited for a big market to get grind like you know when that first mistake happens and they first call him and it's like it's obviously going to happen you're going to get ripped you're a head coach in the national football league like is he is he suited for that i think 
in the sense because players love him and what I've seen of Arthur's real personality is not what we see on the Zooms because we have him coming up, by the way, in like six minutes on our Titan Zoom. And it's I, I, I try we try every week to get something, you know, <laughs> right. something out of him. And God help the media corps that has him as a head coach because he's not going to give him anything. Uh, so in that sense, I think he's very well suited. I don't think Arthur's going to care if he gets ripped. I think he's going to continue to bury you in cliches and generalities, as most most people do. I thank God. I thank the football gods every day for Mike Frabel and his mm-hmm. ability to uh, riff and rip us when necessary <laughs> because it makes things interesting. Arthur is not that. He's gonna he's gonna he's gonna satisfy his media obligations. He's gonna go back uh, to scheming up play action passing. Uh, play, play action passing games and trying to maximize his quarterback based on that. Like, I think, I, especially with the Chargers, who I think receive the least amount of attention of anybody in Los Angeles, because you're talking about the college football teams, you're talking about the Dodgers, the Rams, as you mentioned, ahead of them, LeBron and the Lakers. Like, Arthur, I think, is very well equipped to slide into that job and to remain under the radar until they start winning games and somebody, you know, points more cameras at him. So I think, uh, I think that makes all the sense in the world, especially when you, when you mention the money element of it, because it is his first go around in all this. Yeah. And they'll, they've just been sort of notoriously cheap on that front because I know a lot of people early in the year, Harbaugh's name, Jim Harbaugh's name was coming up like, Oh, it's not worth working out of Michigan and, you know, young quarterback and look what he did when he was in San Fran with Kaepernick and, um, and I'm thinking to myself, yeah, Jim's not leaving. Not unless taking a pay cut. A, <laughs> unless he's getting a crap ton of money, and that's not something that they've, you know, I mean, maybe they reverse course because, it, as you mentioned, the Charger curse, but I, I, I don't think so. I, no, I don't, I, don't think the, I don't think the owner is bothered by the gifts the same way, uh, the same way that everybody <laughs> else is. But, you know, these are things that we will watch pe- uh, play out. We will also be watching Mike Giardi on the NFL Network. He'll be on your televisions as we record this today and throughout the course of the football weekend there uh, along many of our friends over there on NFL Network. Mike, it was fun. Thank you for being a good sport, and thank you for hanging out today on the pod. Appreciate you. Okay, Music City Mailbag coming up momentarily here on the podcast. You guys have submitted your questions to my Instagram DMs at Rising. R-E-I-S-I-N-G. Before we get to the mailbag, got to tell you about the people who present the Zoom line that we have all of our great guests like Mike Giardi on. That's Tane the Beast. And where you can go to get great personal care and grooming products is GetBeast.com, courtesy of Tame the Beast. The Beast boxes, they are flying off the shelves, the digital shelves. And if you have not yet done your Christmas shopping, which if you haven't, you are in deep trouble, which I'm mostly talking to myself because I haven't really done my Christmas shopping yet. and It's probably going to cost me in some form or fashion. But you know where I'm going to go to make sure that the people in my life who need to smell better and who, who need to take better care of their skin, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to go right after we finish this podcast. I'm going to go online to GetBeast.com. I'm going to plug in the promo code BEAST. 2020. It's going to knock 20% off my online order, and I'm going to give Beast boxes for everybody who needs one in my life, courtesy of Tame the Beast. You can do the same with great products like Beast Beard Oil, Yop Hand Wash, Hard Hair Clay, all of these things that I use on a regular basis, as well as any of their online inventory. And if you don't want to take the time to customize your own, 
They have Beast boxes ready to go, put together at GetBeast.com for you to click, add to your cart, and save 20% on with that promo code BEAST2020. Tame the Beast. They want you to groom boldly. They want you to smell better. They want you to save some cash with that promo code BEAST2020. Okay. Music City Mailbag time here on a Thursday. Sawyer Kimbrough starts the bidding. How safe is it to call Isaiah Wilson a bust? See, this is hard, right? Because year one has been a bust. Isaiah Wilson's story is not yet written, right? There's a there's plenty of time that he has to right the ship. Hopefully this time that he's spending away from the team will help him kind of course correct and, and get his life back on track and, and back on the path that they set out for him when they drafted him here in the first round. Back in April, the first year is a bust. It's not safe to call him a bust as a pick because we don't know yet where his path will lead him. Now, it could continue this downward spiral, and it could very well never amount to anything more than a backup or a role player, and he could maybe not see a second contract, which is fairly, you know, that's not what you should be doing with first-round draft picks, right? That's a waste of valuable assets that you have, and when you're picking in the first round, understanding that he was picked 29th overall, and so those are basically second-round picks as far as the talent level is concerned. It's not like a top 10 where you're talking about somebody who's going to play for you for 10 years, but they should at least make it to a second contract or be in consideration for a second contract. And we're very, very far away from that in the case of Isaiah Wilson. To answer your question, it is too early to call him a bust, but you can say that year one has fallen flat on its face. That's from Sawyer Kimbrough on Instagram. James Davis at James underscore the underscore headline. I guess James thinks highly of himself. He says, just want to say I love and support this page. Been following since my page was about good old fishing. Big fan from Michigan. Well, my family is from Tennessee, but I'm up here. Tighten up. Okay, well, thank you, James. We appreciate you following along no matter what state you're in. We have many people who follow the A to Z uh, content from across the country and even internationally based on what I've seen on Facebook. Mike Cam, I always, I never know how to pronounce Mike's last name, but I know he's a frequent question asker here on the mailbag. Mike Camsies, I think is how you say it, 95. What's happening, Buck? Rough Tuesday for you with the stream troubles and then getting shots taken at you on your own pod. Yeah, we had some technical difficulties that I now attribute to a Christmas present that was gotten for me, uh, not to insult the people that got me the Christmas present, but the wireless printer that now is in my office apparently was sucking off uh, m- many of my Wi-Fi, cap- uh, Wi-Fi capabilities in a way that disrupted the Tuesday primetime show. And then, yes, Teresa Walker did assassinate me on my own podcast. It was very unpleasant. Anyway, Mike continues on. If, and it is a big if, Henry manages to put on a ridiculous December and break the rushing record, hit over 20 touchdowns, which looks likely, which is back in play after Jacksonville, should the AP voters be almost forced to vote him MVP? So, the NFL rushing record, I'm pretty sure it is still Emmett, uh, Emmett Smith. 
Actually, no. Who's the... Uh, I'm, I'm going to look it up right now. Forgive me as I do my research in, uh, in live time on the podcast. Uh, Eric Dickerson is the NFL's career rushing leader. Uh, but we want a single season rushing record. So now I have, uh, I have boxed myself in even further. One second. Sorry, we're, we're doing this in real time. Okay, Eric Dickerson, 2,105 rushing yards in a single season. He averaged 131.6. Derrick Henry's right now 1,500 yards. That's way too much for him to be asked to do to get to 2105 for a single season. But, I mean, if it happens, because Mike's question is about if he gets 20 and 2105 on the ground, yes, they they shouldn't be forced to vote for him because he's still not a quarterback, Mike. Like, I understand the need and the desire for Derrick Henry to be a big part of the MVP conversations. And by the way, he absolutely is. It's him, Mahomes, and Rodgers in no particular order. It's probably Mahomes, Rodgers, and him because he doesn't play the most important position because he can have games against the Cleveland Browns where he gets held to 60 yards. Like, that's just the nature of what it is. MVP is a quarterback award. Derrick Henry is going to win or should win Offensive player of the year if he continues on this trajectory. Even if he doesn't get to 2K, I think that he's the offensive player of the year because he's Adrian Peterson-like, ironically enough, because they play the Lions this weekend. And <laughs> he always, it's always, there's always one a year where you look around and you say, holy hell, Adrian Peterson is a Detroit Lion. I never would have guessed until the week that you have to start researching the team that they're going to play. But yes, Derrick Henry in the way that he is able to physically take over a game like Adrian Peterson used to in his career. He is the person, uh, and he is, by the way, the last running back to do it. So it is, in theory, possible. It is not probable because the MVP is a quarterback award until such time as quarterbacks start to get, le- start to get less valuable. And Derrick Henry, if he made it, Two twenty-one oh five and twenty touchdowns. You would be forced to consider him, but you would not be forced to give it to him because he is a running back. At the end of the day, your music city mailbag questions at Buck Rising R E I S I N G is where you slide in the DMs if you would have one that you would like to submit, Titans related or otherwise. I'm happy to answer any of your questions. Uh, we like to uh, we like to free ball here on the show. No pun intended, because I currently. Um, and pantsless at the time at uh, the recording of this podcast, which is maybe TMI, but you know, we like to be honest. Remember to subscribe, rate, review to the 615 Sessions podcast in the A to Z Sports Podcast Network feed. We come to you every Tuesday and Thursday, and we would appreciate your five-star ratings and your reviews. That's all I ask for Christmas. That's all I want. Give me five stars. Give me a review. If you want to say something nice, that's great. If you want to say something nasty, That's fine. Just make sure it comes with that five-star rating. In the meantime, support the people who support this show. That's Two Rivers Ford and Tame the Beast, great local businesses that will provide to you great local service and great local customer service, as they do for me. And, as always, in the meantime, because we'll talk to you Tuesday, we will have a roundtable discussion, as is the custom, about what has happened with the Detroit Lions and perhaps even the Volunteers in Texas A&M, because it could get spicy. 
as we, uh, you know, low-key pray for a coaching search here with the uh, college football team, the college football program, the Tennessee Volunteers, just because I think it would make them more interesting than finishing, you know, however it is that they're going to finish the season. Meantime, stay safe, stay clean. As always, Nashville, stay hot. This has been the award-winning 615 Sessions podcast. It is, as always, powered by Two Rivers Ford and brought to you, as always, by A to Z Sports and a to Z Sports Nashville.com.